episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to another episode of the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I show you the business of being a safety consultant. I want to thank you for joining with me today for listening to the podcast. I got a special episode for you, and I call it special because I'm going to be interviewing Kathy Trahan. And Kathy's with the Alliance Safety Council, so if you haven't heard episode one or any of my episodes, you probably don't know that I am one of the instructors for the Certified Occupational Safety Specialist Program, and then also the Certificate of Occupational Safety Manager Program, which are both from the Alliance Safety Council, and that's where Kathy is president and CEO. So I started with uh, working with the council roughly around 2013 as a contract in- instructor. So that means Kathy's my boss. <laughs> Whenever I work with Alliance, she is the boss. So it was really great to uh, to talk to her, get an understanding. I'm going to split this episode into two episodes because it's uh, we spent a lot of time together. And uh, episode one today, we'll be really talking about her history and talking a little bit about how she got to where she was and uh, just all the things that kind of led her to uh, where she is currently in mindset behind culture and a few other things that has been really uh, a driving force for her. So uh, that is going to be the first episode. And truly, I had a blast talking to her and uh, getting acquainted with her even on a deeper scale. Because again, like I told you, I've been around with her since 2013 and this is now 2020. So it's been a little while, but we haven't really got to, to communicate as such a deeper level as we do now and uh, they've been excellent to me so this is very special me having Kathy on and I really appreciate her being on so uh, strap back in you're gonna hear uh, from Kathy right after the words from the sponsors oh what just happened Oh my, did we just have an accident? Uh, we had two. Uh-oh, what do we do now? Hey, I'm Sheldon Primus. This is what I'm thinking I'm going to do. I'm going to help you guys do an incident causation class. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn why that big blow-up that we just heard can be just one little thing that is symptomatic of the organization. So what I'm going to do is a three-day course for you guys. Day one, we're going to talk about behavior-based safety. We're also going to talk about human and organization performance. Yes, I said that. We're going to have two of those things that people think don't go together. I think I could make this thing work. And then day two, we're also going to talk a little bit more about the incidents themselves, causation theories. We're going to talk about incident teams, learning teams, if you will. I will also talk about investigation plans, how to do that, how to go through an investigation process and the mindset behind all the different factors of an incident. We will do this in a workshop format as well. 
day three. What we're going to do on day three is we're going to actually start doing more breakout workshops with all the students that are going to be in this virtual event. And in this virtual event, we are going to go through some of the uh, principles of safety incident investigations, such as the five whys, the Swiss cheese model, the three cause factor, and many other more. And the function of this, the idea behind it is to give you a comprehensive understanding of incidents, why they happen, how they could be avoided, and then what do you do after you get to root cause and how do you now incorporate the changes in your organization. So come join me. I'm going to do this three-day event starting at November 17th, 18th, and 19th. And this is going to be open to the public. So anybody that wants to take this course, what you're going to do is go to sheldonprimus.com backslash event. sheldonprimus.com backslash events. E-V-E-N-T-S. And just go ahead and get your tickets for this three-day event. It's going to be 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time each day. So you too can learn about accidents, causations, preventions, what to do, and how to make sure that your organization can learn from even the thing that can cause you harm. You switch it around, make it a learning experience, and now you could get some good quality information from it that will protect your workers in the future. So join me again, Sheldon Primus, for the Incident Investigation Course, November 17th, 18th, and 19th. Go to SheldonPrimus.com backslash events. Kathy Trahan, I'm the President and CEO of Alliance Safety Council in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, that's my title. I tried to get Lord High Empress of the Moon, but that was taken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That'd be a great t-shirt, wouldn't it? Or at least uh, imagine that on a desk or a door. (laughs) Yeah. No, you are what you are. It doesn't matter what your title says. So. And I was looking through your LinkedIn. So when you look in LinkedIn, you're going to see me as one of the stalkers. You know how LinkedIn does that, where you can see who was looking at you? (laughs) That's all right. I was kind of, uh, I I got started with, uh, with you guys. I believe when I completed my my program to be a cost instructor first was 2013-ish. And uh, looking at the, the time, I think you were roughly around 11 years in by then. Am I am I right? Am I, am I well, I'm, I'm uh, my 16th year, starting my 16th year right now. Okay. So, so I, was, I came in in about 04. About 04? Okay. So that kind of... You know, matches up a little there. Uh, so right around the nine-year mark, I guess, was uh, was when you're you're in there. Uh, mm-hmm. What was life before Alliance? Well, I um, was a serial entrepreneur until um, my kids got to the ages where they didn't want to come to work with me anymore. <laughs> so uh, I had to get a different job, and you know, being self-employed. Uh, And if you're a safety consultant, you probably have that same issue. It's very expensive to carry uh, insurance and have insurance for your family and your children. And so at that time, it was very expensive 
um, to have, I had three small children and they were starting to get to the ages where they were going to need braces and different things like that. So it was starting to get really pricey to be self-employed. In addition to that, um, I had gone through some uh, a divorce, life changes. And so I decided after I had run a franchise, a carpet cleaning and dye company, and uh, I had a balloon business where I was a clown delivering balloon bouquets. And we do um, pony parties and male strippers and, you know, um, any type of uh, belly dancers. It was any type of singing telegram. So we did that uh, service business. We decorated for holidays and for New Year's Eve. And so that was kind of a, a, a trendy thing at the time. Everybody and their brother got into it, all the grocery stores. So it, it the first year, it was like $250,000 worth of balloon sales. But as more and more people entered the market, um, it started to decrease. So I uh, it was called Balloon Works. It a bang out of inflation. And uh, we sold it to a florist and they moved it over to Kinder. And then we had a paint and body shop. There were a lot of health concerns around that. So basically I've run a, a franchise service business, a retail business and um, small manufacturing. At that point, um, I decided to go back to school because when I went and looked on the open market with my kids to try to get benefits and health benefits, yeah. um, realized that um, Nobody wanted to pay me what I was worth. I mean, who who were they going to call for a recommendation? Me. So, um, what ended up happening is that I decided to go back to school. So it had been ten years since I'd been in school, and um, fortunately, I was able to use my ACT scores at that time get a scholarship to to McNeese State University for electronics, electricity, instrumentation. Uh, so I went back to school, worked in the financial aid office coaching soccer with my kids and um, when I graduated from McNeese I realized that there were no jobs in Lake Charles so um, I would have had to go into Dallas to work for General Dynamics or go to the East Coast and the Carolinas in order to utilize my degree so I started looking around and uh, I applied at the unemployment office took their testing they called me for a plant job and they said, would you be interested in uh, operations? I said, well, what do they do? I had no idea. So they told me. You and I mean said, oil and gas plant? No, it was PPG in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Okay. So Petro, that's a. Petrochemical. Petrochemical. Yeah, it was a chemical plant. That was PPG's largest investment. It was a chemical plant. And so um, I got hired in in the Pertrop production unit as an auxiliary operator. So I was doing all the grunt work. And um, I, um, you know, caught samples, ran samples on GCs, um, ran pHs, uh, any type and all types of, of testing to verify that the production was going as planned. Uh, and then, you know, it's awesome. So once, you know what a helicopter is. Yes. So one of the things that was really interesting was that every single unit of every single plant had a different culture, a different personality. So you could go, I was able to, uh, once I'd been there for about three and a half years, I was in a fire squad accident and um, the the uh, four and a half inch hose, I was on, because I was an auxiliary operator, I was required to be part of the voluntary, a voluntary fire squad. So um, we got called uh, every Friday, once a month 
not every Friday, but once a month on Friday, we would have tra- eight hours of training. We got overtime for that. And so we were down at the docks doing training and the um, I had someone on a backboard with, with three other operators and we had all of our bunker gear on and a helmet and everything. And as we were walking towards the ambulance, we had, they'd been injured at the dock. And as we were working, walking towards the ambulance, all of a sudden the pumper truck, um, the brass fitting sheared off of it and started whipping around, you know, like a water wiggle. I don't know if you remember what a water wiggle was yeah. when you were a kid, but yeah. it started whipping around. Well, nobody realizes the, you know, velocity coming out of that, um, you know, fitting, it was, uh, very constricted. So we took cover. Someone had not put the quick shutoff valve on the hydrant. So one of our operators, Duke Bear, he went and started closing it and closing it and closing it. So it took him a lot longer. And he put his, actually put his life at risk trying to stop it. And um, it went underneath. We, we tried to get behind the ambulance to protect ourselves and the person that was basically you know, um, unable to protect themselves. They were on the backboard strapped down. So we went to go behind the ambulance to take cover. And that water came up under the ambulance and literally cut our feet out from under us, just like a golf club hitting a ball. I mean, Mm. we all, our feet went up in the air and we all came down on our heads. And so um, because of that injury, um, I had uh, difficulty doing things overhead it damaged some nerves in my neck and so I was basically a couple of days away from um they they wouldn't allow me to return to work because I couldn't pass some some neurological and and uh weight lifting tests because so they allowed me to go to um go home and until the neurologist could figure out what to do to fix me So um, during that process, as it luck would have it, an electronics, electricity, instrumentation job came up. And so um, in the... You were already trained for that. You had your degree. That's right. So in the final hours, I applied for that job. And I was, there were some other people that had two degrees, but I had a four-year degree and I had one in electronic uh, technology, one in instrumentation technology, and uh, one in electrical technology at two two years and a four year so i'd used all my electives to get those other degrees because i didn't know where the opportunities were going to be yeah so um so anyway i got the um got the job fortunately and there were only five people in that specialist team and i worked uh, really hard to improve processes i took everybody i had small children at home so i I volunteered for all the overtime and I had people that were probably 20 years my senior that wanted to fish and take it easy. And so they were willing to give up their overtime. So I took all their overtime, worked nights and weekends and um, learned a lot about the safety culture and about the dynamics, the group dynamics, where you could essentially have every single person um, at every single facility, I mean, at every single unit, would, there would be a different culture, and the, they all had their own unique culture, and uh, that was very enlightening to me because, I, you know, you think that in one facility with 1,200 people that the culture would be disseminated uh, very similarly, but it was not. I mean, the dynamics of the group ended up uh, creating the culture, how 
how uh, interested they were in safety, whether they cut corners, whether they, you know, followed SOP, did they like their job, did they enjoy working with each other? It just was amazing. So I got to be in every unit of every A, B, and C plant and the powerhouses. And so it was a really good learning experience for people and culture. It was really cool. So here's the question I had. well, one of the questions that that just popped in my mind is you're telling me the different types of cultures that they have and knowing you now and knowing the alliance. Did that spark anything in you to find out why there was all these different perceived and actual cultural differences from each one of those departments you worked on that made you try to to fix it? Yes. There, what did fix you do? It. Are you talking about fix it when I was still there? Yeah, when you're still there or at least understand what was happening. Well, the important thing about when I was there was understanding that, you know, I I had always worked with customers and um, I would, you know, sometimes when you work with people all the time, you can kind of get a little jaded or or a little cynical about, um, you know, the human condition. And so that's why I moved into equipment. So I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to work on equipment. When I fix this piece of equipment, it's going to be fixed. Absolutely. (laughs) With people, you can't do that, you know, but I was just a little bit tired and I'm like, okay, you know, I've had all these employees, I've had all these different experiences and, you know, mentally I needed a break. So that's why I started working on people. But lo and behold, when I started fixing equipment, most of the issues were with the people that were working on, that were using the equipment. So I was like, back to square, you know, back to square one. So um, one of the things that was really important was trust. And my job was so much easier if people knew that I had their back, that I wasn't trying to throw them under the bus. So if I go out there to fix a piece of equipment, and I find out somebody accidentally spilled their coffee on top of a $4,500 integrator, then, you know, they're going to be concerned that they're going to get written up or get in trouble. And so my job was always to um, do as much troubleshooting as I could before I got there, um, to build trust, to let them know that uh, I was going to fix it, uh, that my job was to support them and that I was going to take care of whatever the issue was and that, um, you know, they could trust me. So I knew trust was a a major component of that, to know that um, if you're, you want people uh, to share things with you, then you have to give them a safe place in which to do that. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the main things that I learned. But because I learned that uh, each culture and each individual unit of each individual plant was different, I learned that I could not approach everyone in the same way, uh, every individual in the same way. So um, it had to be what I would do is while my GC was running, which would be 20, 30, 40 minutes. It depended on the product that uh, we were analyzing. I would go and wait while it was running. And after I'd done my preventive maintenance on the rest of the machines, I'd go sit down with them and just talk to them about their job and about what they did. And uh, I was also teaching at the university, teaching night classes at McNeese and P-TECH process operations and um, technical uh, math and uh, some other courses that were part of the P-TECH program, equipment and other courses. And I learned that when they talked about their job, they swelled with pride, all the things they do. I'd ask them about, well, tell me about this and how, how you got into this. And so, you know, 
a person's experiences in their name is is the sweetest sound to them. So to let people share with me their experiences, what they learned. And I found that the more I was interested in their journey and their success, the more they helped me on mine. So it became, um, you know, sort of a, a symbiotic relationship. And as long as trust was there, it really uh blossomed and I was able to call on the phone, talk to him, get as much information, get there, fix it. I got four hours. Every time I got called out, I'd have it fixed in 15 or 20 minutes unless it was a GC and I had to stay till the, the uh, graph came out and I'd go home and I might get another call out. So the quicker I could, you know, turn around those call outs, um, the better it was for me. Uh, unfortunately, through continuous process improvement, I worked myself out of all my overtime, and that's why I had to get, we no longer, we went from getting a call a night to a call a week to a call a month to a call every six months. So that's why I uh, looked for night work teaching at the university. So that was a lot of fun. But I find when people teach what they know, uh, they get very reinvigorated. Mm -hmm. And so by talking about that, it made them feel actually better about their job and uh, better about uh, their team. So that was, that was, and I, and I have some stories to share about culture here because the worst cult, the worst behavior that you tolerate set your culture. Yeah. And so that's what I found uh, out there. And, and so we've actively worked to, mm-hmm. Um, making sure people understand what behaviors support our culture. And we have a program to keep that top of mind here. So I'm happy to talk about that a little later because I think safety folks could benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. And it seemed like, uh, like in, in your activities, you actually created your own culture bubble, if you will, meaning that when someone was dealing with you at that time, they, uh, they were giving you, what you needed and the performance was different because they had that trust as you said but then also I would imagine there was also an expectation that they had knowing that the trust is both ways that Kathy's here we're going to get things done and it's going to be right and she cares about me as well so that may actually have caused them to treat you differently where in effect no matter how dysfunctional or functional any culture that you interacted with was different from one to the other in the same organization you actually it seems to me in the conversation kept consistency with people who were actually dealing with you that would affect be your own culture bubble that you walked around in <laughs> is that uh fair to say or yeah i think that doing it right the first time there's a lot of our um our behaviors that are part of our fundamentals running the Alliance Safety Council that come from my experiences there. And, you know, one is do the right thing and the other is do it right the first time. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I would agree with that. And for when you're, you're, you're progressing into the actual safety council side, what got you to think, uh, or at least was it a job opening or did you say like, I really want to get into uh, helping people on a mass scale because you're already training as a adjunct instructor and I used to be an adjunct for uh, Florida Gateway College so it's a little rough as being an adjunct sometimes but sometimes it's really good because then your students come back and they get it and you really hear it in their voice that they get it and and they uh, now are working professionals that you help them through that process it's really cool seeing that 
and I still keep in touch with some of my students when I was an adjunct as well. What what got you when you you said, well, I am going to try to get into this? And you did you start with Alliance? I remember it's a different name when you started, right? It wasn't Alliance, right? It was time. Safety Council of Louisiana Capital Area. So when I um, was working those multiple jobs, I had a daughter that was getting ready to start master. She's now an OBGYN in Alexandria, Louisiana, so she's a doctor now. So I was trying to, I needed multiple sources of income. I actually loved working shift work at the plant because it allowed me to spend so much more time with the kids. I mean, I'd work 14 days a Canadian shift. I'd work 14 days a month, seven days, seven nights. So the nights, they really didn't miss me. And um, the days, you know, they were in school half the time. So it really gave me a lot of time to spend with the kids and attend their functions and all. And uh, I worked the additional jobs because I was trying to get children ready to go to college. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that um, happened was that as I, when I went back to school uh, and then went to work at PPG and needed to make additional money, there was a group that was formed, the Gulf Coast Process Technology Alliance, that were looking for subject matter experts. And those subject matter experts, they wanted to come from industry. So PPG gave me a, a one day a month release time to go spend in uh, Texas City at the College of the Mainland and to participate as a subject matter expert in all of the process operations. And when I'd gone through and we developed all eight of the courses that now are taught across the country as the um, eight core courses for process operations degrees. So as part of working at PPG, I also learned about developing curriculums and education. And that's what set me up to uh, actually start teaching night classes. So when I realized I needed to make more money than an instrumentation Mm -hmm. uh, person was making at the time, I went to McNeese and said, look, uh, I think I need to get a chemical engineering degree because uh, I'm not going to get promoted within the organization without that. And uh, they said, they showed me how long it was going to take me to get there. And I said, well, I, I don't have that kind of time. You know, my daughter's starting college. Right. Uh, I said, I need, to, I need to make money now. So when you speak to the universe, sometimes magic happens. There you go. So um, they said, well, why don't you teach in the program? And I said, well, I'm not, I can't, I'm not qualified to teach in the program. They said, do you have a four-year degree? And I said, yeah. They said, you can teach in any of the two-year programs. So I was able to start teaching the night classes. So through my interaction with that, uh, with McNeese and with teaching as an adjunct, I became part of the state P-TECH advisory board coming to Baton Rouge. All the the, um, folks that were teaching and representing the different colleges would meet once a month in Baton Rouge. And so I started participating in that. And as a result, I got a lot of... Uh, interaction with the Baton Rouge Community College. And when they were looking for a dean of their department, they thought of me because I had worked in industry. So I had the experience. I I also um, had been teaching and developing the courses. So they felt like I was a natural fit uh, because I understood industry. And then I had taught it and I was part. So they offered me a position uh, after a very stringent, it was one of the 
most uh, comprehensive interviews. There was probably 20 people interviewing me for the position wow. at the at the college. Oh my! And so I um, accepted that position, and after several years, um, and, and while I was at Baton Rouge Community College, I had visited the Safety Council and I saw the cost course. And we had a uh, 45-hour safety, health, and environmental course that was part of PTEC. And I just thought cost would be a great program to offer the industry members who were already in a job and or were thinking about going into a job. So I tried to get the school to um, bring costs on board. Well, they weren't receptive to it because it was not invented here. They wanted to you know, build their own courses. Uh, And so I understood that, uh, you know, education is a whole different culture all in in and of itself. And so they, they have experts and they build their own courses. But I did tell uh, Catherine Cloy at the time, who was the uh, CEO, I said, if you ever leave this job, let me know, because this is what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) So uh, I like the autonomy of not being within the hierarchy of the education system and having all the constraints that you often have in that type of an environment. And so she remembered that comment. And that was the only time I ever spoke with her. And when she decided to take a job with the uh, Realtors Board in, in Nevada, um, she called me and said, hey, remember when you told me that this is what you when. wanted to be when you grow up? And I said, absolutely. And she said, well, we have a pos- I'm leaving and we're going to have that position available. I said, great. What do I do? She said, well, she said, um, you need to come up with a plan on where you would take the organization if you became the president CEO and present it as your interview, as part of your interview process. I said, awesome. How long do I have? She said, well, the interviews close in two days. <laughs> so I said, wow. okay. So I said, no problem. So I got on the internet and I studied and I, I didn't even know anything about nonprofits and how they were run other than being part of the GCPTA where I was an officer in that nonprofit uh, as a volunteer, unpaid, you know, uh, volunteer. So, um, I worked really hard and I uh, interviewed for the position and they apparently liked what I had to say because they offered me the position. And when I got here um, 15 years ago, they had around 11 to 12 employees, maybe 14. I don't always remember the exact number, but um, we had a a million dollar budget and a $5,000 loss. So I said, okay, um, because I I didn't see all of that prior to accepting the job. So I'm like, okay, I've got some work to do. So we, uh, I kind of listened down the hall and I just heard a lot of no's on the phone. And uh, so I went and asked, I said, what are you telling people no about? And they would say, well, I I told them we couldn't do this. I said, we need to start saying yes uh, uh, to our members. So we, it was required a culture shift at that point, and uh, we started bringing on some people that were very good at uh, projects and project management, and we started making improvements in the system, and we started offering additional training and uh, growing What kind of improvements, programs. and was it like a the system meaning the technology at that point? Because I know you guys are very technically advanced. But at that point, was it the technology or was it just the operating system between communication and departments and how paperwork rolls, what you offer? It was everything. Uh, There was very little automation. Uh, 
at the time we did have a system to deliver the training but um and it was it was a, the best that was available at the time but we needed like our check-in system for instance it took people three minutes to check in so that's the first thing we worked on we got that down to 30 seconds wow. so we started working on what kind of technology solutions can we use to be an enabler you know to enable us to to be more efficient effective to make the experience better for the folks coming in so um we did everything we could to honor the hard work that they do and to provide them with a clean and efficient and a good environment in which to train. So it just became, uh, you know, a constant improvement. And we started uh, expanding and taking what we had learned about petrochemical standardization and reciprocity. And we migrated that into the power industry and into the pulp and paper industry. And uh, today, more than 50% of our revenue comes from out of state. And we get to bring that all back here and invest 100 cents of every dollar back into better programs, better processes, better technology. Um, we are able to educate the folks you know, that we have and also hire uh, folks that maybe have higher technology skills than when we started. So uh, we've grown our content department, our programming and technology department incredibly. So now uh, we have over 100 uh, team members and we have four bricks and mortar facilities. Uh, we train more than 300,000 people across the country. So we've grown a lot, but it's been it's been uh, a journey of asking what's next, what else can we do? How else can we meet people where they are? So it's been a constant journey. Yeah, and I, um, when you say, uh, especially in the beginning, that you, you had to really change the, the outlook and uh, the approach, usually change comes with, uh, with resistance, if you will. Uh, so not to not to get into the the weeds as in how you as a, a leader in a young organization had to take on to grow it to what you just told us you're doing right now is being tremendous. How did you go through that? And then another thought was, did you develop your courses or did you partner with people? So first, the first thought was when, when you had to bring in the change and basically start in, uh, asserting yourself in different ways as the president and CEO, what kind of resistance did you meet or were people just like, please, let's do this? <laughs> well, first of all, constant change is exhausting. And so you you have to, and we had to be in constant change. I mean, we've been in hockey stick growth uh, since we started and we're continuing to grow and I have no you know, plans of stopping. Mm -hmm. So the, the change, um, if someone can't handle the constant change and, you know, continually being more self-aware and improving themselves and, you know, joining us for the journey, they generally weed themselves out because it's not for everybody. I mean, constant change is hard. Some people just want to go and put their eight hours in and, go home. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I always tell people, I work to live. I don't live to work. My journey is more about what can we do to help not just 
our industry because it's been so good to me. I mean, it helped me support my children as a single mother. And um, I love our industry. I never one day felt unsafe. I knew what kind of interlock circuitry programs they had in place to prevent things. I, I felt great about. I was actually the one catching the samples at the at the docks when, you know, um, before we let water out. And so uh, we had a purging trap, you know, a Techmar uh, Dorman purging trap equipment and we knew you know how many parts per billion and would not release anything we'd get a vac truck out there so i knew everything that was going into making our facility a safe environment so i love our industry it absolutely does amazing things not just for the people that are in it but for you know all the products they create and there's a lot of um bad information out there you know they'll see steam coming out of a facility and they'll automatically assume that that's pollution and our system at ppg was so integrated that it was fed you know byproducts were fed to the next unit and made it into products and by the time it was finished and had been through the bat unit and um, the incinerator there was just such a small fraction uh, that was of carbon monoxide that was actually released to the environment so it wasn't even you know it was carbon monoxide yeah so uh, your barbecue pit puts out more than that so it was just really i felt great about the industry i knew how much it had changed the quality of my life and my children's lives and i really wanted to give people the opportunity to upskill to help raise themselves up to raise all the ships in the harbor and to create new opportunities and to give back to the industry that had given back given so much to me yeah. So um, you're never going to get like if I if anybody starts talking bad about our industry, I get on my soapbox like right away. But I am just passionately protective of all that we do as an industry. And, and there are the eight to 10 other people that are supported by our industry in other jobs and vendors and supplier supply. The supply chain is just amazing. And in an article that just, you know, came out um, in the business report recently, I, I um, reiterated that point, it said that they're, the reason they asked, they were trying to figure out why our numbers were so low in terms of incidents and accidents, I said it's because so much of our communities are tied to the industry and the more attention you pay to safety and uh, the more focus. I mean, our plants even make low numbers in terms of your incident and accident rates a prerequisite for working so there's a carrot and a stick you know if you you can't come work in our plant if you don't have a great safety record and you know the stick the the stick is that and the carrot is you get to work and you get the job and, and you get to be successful Welcome back. So hopefully you had a good time listening in with uh, my interview with Kathy. Uh, it was awesome talking to her and being the president and CEO of the Alliance Safety Council. You could just see how down to earth she really is. And it's just awesome, uh, her approach to life. I just love the Alliance Safety Council and just what they have done for my career, definitely. 
and I'm very grateful for that. But then I'm also just at awe at some of the things that they just do just offhand, the technology that they have for uh, students, then also a few other things, meaning the way instructors are treated and just taken care of, you kind of get you spoiled. <laughs> I mean, I go anywhere else, I'm like, hold on. It's not a alliance. I appreciate it, and I love every one of my clients and people I work with, but uh, the alliance has a special place in my heart. So if you're uh, listening really closely to Kathy's backstory, her superwoman origin story, you get to really hear a, a theme. And the theme that just kept coming through my mind, everything that I just kept hearing from her, one of the themes is, or at least the impression I got, was a mother who loved herself and her children so much that she was ready and prepared and just kept progressing in her life, kept doing things just to make sure that when opportunity came, she was prepared. So this tip of the week that I'm going to do would be a Kathy theme, uh, just letting you know that if you... If you want to advance in your life, no matter what is, you know, just thrown at you, uh, if you get 2020'd, I'm going to make that one of those phrases now. If you get 2020'd in your life, then truly you want to make sure that you are going to be ready. Preparation and opportunity, when they collide, then it's not like happenstance or it's not mystical that all of a sudden you get this great job. You know, Kathy, when she wanted to be the the in charge of the alliance and she told the person, you know, hey, do you ever leave this job? I love it. And, you know, she had to be prepared for that. And then when the person left the job, they remembered her. She was still in their mind and they got a hold of her and she got together an interview in, you know, two, three days and actually nailed it. That is preparation and opportunity meeting. So that means it must be up to you to constantly think of how can I improve myself and not just thinking about it, doing it. Doing it in some way. For my own life, I had to uh, get my bachelor's degree when I was doing my uh, wastewater operation job. I was in wastewater operations. Why do I need a bachelor's degree? I had a career already, but I decided I wanted to do that. And then I chose marketing. <laughs> marketing, you know, what am I going to do with marketing and wastewater, right? But now I'm using it. And then when I decided to become, my path was to be utility director. And I thought my master's of public administration with a concentration of environmental policy will help me with that. However, I got burnt out with government work, so I decided that, you know, let me go out and, and branch out on my own. And truly, I had the education at that time to branch out on my own. I still needed a little bit extra. So I had just like two years prior taken the Certificate of Occupational Safety Specialist class, the cost class. Uh, you go to cost.net, you can pick your class. Uh, they're also doing virtual courses. I'm going to be mostly the virtual cost instructor for um, next year. I know they're going to probably develop more and more instructors, but I was the first to do it, so it was awesome. Uh, but truly... 
when I took that class back in 2011, maybe 2012, roughly. Uh, no, no, maybe like 2010, 2011, because I left my uh, my full time job at 2012 when I was like, hey. I'm done. I'm going out on my own. So by then, I already had my costs. And I needed also to have my two OSHA outreach training. I needed the general industry and construction so I could be a cost instructor. So I went ahead and started the process of first getting my 10 and 30 hour authorization through all the OTIs, which is the OSHA Training Institute Education Center is uh, the complete name to it. And then I decided, all right, I got this. Let's go ahead and do this cost thing. And I got a hold of Alliance. They helped me out, got me through the process. I started uh, training and just loved it. It's helped me as an individual. It helped me professionally. But preparation meant opportunity. So getting the master's degree helped me. Getting my OSHA certifications or authorizations, excuse me, helped me as well. When Alliance needed some money and I was uh, one of the candidates to go through this process, preparation meant opportunity. So that's a theme here. So I'm going to give you guys a couple of things to help you. Preparation. When you're thinking preparation, education is a great route to start. Now there's diverse ways of getting education, especially if you're in the safety field. Uh, Columbia University, they've got a whole program where you could get an online degree for safety just by going through that. If you're really good at testing, then you know maybe you want to test into the, the uh, CSP or, or something similar to that. Uh, there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, but I'm biased to cost, and I'll just say it straight out. Out. I took a week and learned so much in a week by practically physically go doing things and understanding the code of regulations so that when I did get the opportunity to be a cost instructor, I had a great foundation even by taking the class, and that's one of the prereqs to be an instructor. But the students that I've met, a lot of them were doing this with their own dime so that they could also be ready when opportunity knocked. So go to cost.net, and uh, this isn't actually a, a paid uh, thing. I'm not getting, uh, they're not one of my sponsors. Mm, not that I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> The thought just hit me. Hold on. They could be a sponsor. So you guys kind of caught me like a, like mid-thought. But yeah, if they're a sponsor, hey, Kathy, if you want to sponsor me, go for it. <laughs> but not at this time. We have no agreement. But go to cost.net. Uh, look up your state. If you're international, then you want to look up the virtual cost and get that training. It's a week-long training. I might be an instructor. I might not be. But still, it's worth it. And then uh, you will be ready as Especially if you need to know general industry and construction, that will help you. So when opportunity hits, you will have been prepared. Another thing is um, I used to be uh, with a South Florida OTI, and that's just a short name, that again, that we use for the, uh, the institutes that train you in OSHA. When Alliance got their own Mid-South OTI, 
I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> like Alliance, they're, they're excellence to me. When I think of safety and health training in any way, and I'm thinking excellence, they're my, they're my benchmark. So anything that I look for with excellence is going to come from the Alliance. So when they were approved to be an authorized OSHA training center, I switched my accreditation from Florida, and I went to a different region because you could go to any region you, can, you want to get your OTI, and now I'm part of Mid-South. So because they're my OTI, that's where I go and I do my refresher. So if you currently have someone and you're ready to do a refresher and you want to switch, you know, then go ahead and uh, go to uh, midsouthoti.org. That's, uh, that's where you find them. And truly, they have all the OSHA courses out there, all the numbered courses. You could do those. And uh, for those of you that are not in the U.S., you can't be an authorized OSHA instructor because of OSHA's rules. But it doesn't hurt to get the training. It doesn't hurt to get uh, the understanding of what that is. And therefore, you could just do an equivalent course in your country. That's really what it boils down to. You just can't give out the card is really what you can't do. But at that point, truly, you're giving out information and the information is the most important. So those are ways that opportunity. You get your preparation. When the opportunity arises, you don't have to wait for anything. You can nail it because you've already done your preparation. Sometimes it's out of pocket, like several of my things I had to just go ahead and pony up and pay for. That's okay. You got to do it. Just get ready. Uh, it, in that first half of our interview, you'll see that on Thursday, we'll talk to Kathy a little bit more. But a lot of her driving factors with her children, and therefore you parents that are listening to me, you know that you'll do anything for them. So as much as you can, you may actually have to work midnights, go to class during day like I did, or something similar to that. So that preparation meets opportunity you get a better paying job you go out on your own you be your own consultant you are ready so that is my tip of the week i want to thank everybody again for listening to me and uh truly if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet please go ahead and hit that subscribe button whatever you're listening to me on right now or if you're on the sheldonprimus.com website uh, there's a podcast player that you're listening to me on go ahead and click that link to uh, get to uh, the actual uh, whatever service you use most and then you can subscribe that way or you can just keep listening on sheldonprimus.com i'm good with that that's that's good too and um if you want to do more as far as your own podcast reach out to me you could email me at sheldon at sheldonprimus.com and i've got a couple opportunities available for people who want to do their own podcast uh, i have a hosting service that i could put you on just uh, reach out to me and we'll we'll work out the details you know devil's into details as well one person told me so i'm good with that uh if you can, share this with a friend. I love when you could share the episodes with a friend. And uh, truly, I am going to do my best to keep you engaged. Uh, if you didn't hear, I'm doing an event. So go to sheldonprimus.com backslash events. And I am also doing that event. It's a three-day incident causation course. All right. So I am at the end of the tip of the week. 
you're going to hear me again on Thursday when I'm going to finish up the interview with Kathy. So join me again then. But until then, go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.